0: of sources that I found. (laughs) The name Easter has its origin with a goddess of the Anglo-Saxons named Esther. It is believed that she is the goddess of the dawn and was worshipped in the spring by pagans in northern Europe in the British Isles. It is rooted in the celebration of spring when bunnies are birthed and lilies are blooming. That's Pat Randall, right? work there. Notice these flowers around here. Yeah, we are happy for spring. Anybody that lives in the north, oh, we can't wait for spring. I mean, look at the sun is shining. Probably go to the beach today. <laughs> well, maybe not today. <laughs> but friends, we want to worship what is true. We want to honor God. Yeah, it's fun to lay out the eggs with the candies in them and watch the kids roll around running after all their little prizes. Let's teach the truth and let's focus there. Let's live there. You see, the truth is that Jesus died on the cross. I mean, that is historical fact. And you and I, we know why. He wasn't a victim He was a sacrifice. He died on the cross for our sin, on our behalf, in our place. The wrath of God that you and I deserve because of our sin was placed upon Him. It is why it is a holy, holy thought to consider the death of Christ on the cross. That's why they call him Savior. He saved us from the penalty of sin. And we make much of the... I mean, look, we've got... We we put a cross up here in the church. We, You know, we've got a bit of a tomb there, but typically when you come in, boy, we make much of the cross. I have yet to see a lady wearing a necklace with a tomb on it, you know? We tend to overlook the resurrection, And it's it's, it's certainly easy to see how Easter could sneak in and take up our attention. Because, frankly, we know very little about it. We know that it happened. But what is missing from our understanding is why it is so critical that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, as, as a kid, I thought Resurrection Sunday was about, yay, Jesus, he did it. Wow, good on him. Let's celebrate. I had no idea. But today we're going to make this all nice and crispy clear here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And what we're going to see is three reasons why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only essential that we understand and celebrate, but why it is critical in our lives. The first we will find in verses 1 through 11, we see that the resurrection of Jesus it is, is an essential part of the gospel. It is an essential part of the gospel. Friends, we can't skip this stuff over. We like to, again, you know, we think, you know, there were days when, when, when I thought the gospel was Jesus died for our sin. I mean, I, and that is some really good news, which is what the word gospel means. It is some really good news that Jesus died in our place, but friends, there is more. Now I want you to notice here in verse one here the the Apostle Paul writing to this church in Corinth, and he says here in verse one, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So this this is the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached. It is the gospel also that this church received, thus they are a church. See, a church is made up of people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who died for their sin and rose from the dead. It is the gospel, my friends, not only in which they stand, but verse 2, and by which you are being saved. Now that's an interesting expression that is not often used in the church. And I want to see what we can do to update our thinking, and what it means to be saved here. Notice that what what Paul says, and he says, uh, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach, which you received, in which you stand. In other words, they hold firm to this truth, and by which you are being saved. You see, salvation seems to be a process in this regard. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, based on the work of Christ in dying on the cross for our sin and rising from the dead, we are forgiven of our sin. We we find pardon from God's wrath that we deserve. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. So that's past tense. The moment you trust Christ, you're forgiven from the penalty of sin. But it is a process. Even now, as as a follower of Jesus Christ, the work of the Spirit of God in our life is saving us from the power of sin in our life. In which we are learning to say no to temptation in which we are recognizing the flesh at work in our life, craving for more, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want to go first, get out of my way. Friends, that is the voice of sin. And so we're being saved from the power of sin in our life. And one day, one day when our salvation is complete, my friends, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. That, my friends, is eternity with Jesus. Some call it heaven, including the scriptures. (laughs) And so this church is being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And there is that word, In the the Bible here, the New Testament, the word believe and trust are the same Greek word. One is a verb, one is a noun. And you see here, my friends, that Paul preached this gospel. The church received the gospel. And by the belief in the gospel, they are being saved. And then Paul does for us what we so desperately need. He gives us a clearly defined gospel. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 3, where Paul says, I deliver to you as of first importance. This is the primary message, my friends. If you're going to talk to anybody about anything, this is the message I hope is on your lips. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received. Paul did not make up this message. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation the revelation of Jesus Christ. My friends, Paul didn't make this stuff up. Paul didn't hear it while people were sitting around drinking coffee. He heard it from the Lord Jesus himself. And so in this clearly defined gospel, we know what the source is. Divine revelation. And then here it is, my friends. Paul lays out for us the substance of the gospel Notice carefully here, my friends, that Paul says that Christ died for our sins. Now, we just talked about that. And what a primary event this is. This is good news. Why is it good news? Because if Jesus didn't die for your sin, you will die for your sin. And what is death? Death is eternal separation from God. Separation from his goodness, his kindness, his compassion, his love, his joy, all of the things that we say life is worth living for. Christ died for our sin on behalf of us in our place. And then you will notice he references that's exactly what the Old Testament said would happen. He says, in accordance with the Scripture. Christ died for our sin, just as the Old Testament said. Where did it say that? In Isaiah chapter 53, if you would like to look there with me, I encourage you. In Isaiah 53, the prophet says of Jesus, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ died for our sin just as the Old Testament said he would. And then here in verse 4, we see evidence of his death. You say, what is the evidence of his death? Well, he was buried. I mean, that's what it says here in verse 4, that he was buried. How is that evidence of his death? Well, my friends, I want to let you into a very, very important truth. We don't bury live people. And we shouldn't. I want you to talk about that at home today, okay? Christ died for our sin and he was buried because he was dead. The people who wanted him dead made sure that he was dead before they put him in that tomb. And so we see that the Old Testament said that Christ would die for our sin. It is evidence of the fact that he was buried. And then you will notice the second part of the gospel that Paul lays out. First and foremost is that Christ died for our sin. The second part here laid out in verse 4. And that he was raised on the third day. Raised, what do we mean by that? I'm talking about resurrection here friends he rose from the dead he was raised on the third day and here's that phrase again in accordance with the scriptures now, specifically, I believe Paul is referencing Psalm 1610. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, why do I think that he was referencing that? Well, Psalm 1610 was quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13 has a reference to the resurrection of Jesus. The Old Testament said not only would he die for our sin, but that he would rise from the dead. Christ was raised just as the Old Testament said. And then Paul does exactly what he did for the first statement of Christ dying for our sin, giving us evidence that he died for our sin, he, he was buried. But what's the evidence of his resurrection? We'll take a look here in verse 5. And Paul says, you know how we know he rose from the dead? He appeared. The fact that he appeared to numerous people after he had died. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, and he appeared to more than 500 believers at one time, most of whom, Paul says, are still alive. You could go talk to those people and say, tell me, what did you see? And they would say, the resurrected Christ. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And here Paul says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to And so, my friends, what we see here is a gospel that Paul preached. It is a gospel that the church received. It is a gospel by which we are being saved. And a gospel clearly defined. Ten words, my friends. The good news is this. Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. I and mean, in your mind you might be thinking well I, I get the whole cross thing and how that's good news you know he died in my place took the wrath of God upon himself that I deserve I mean that's pretty great news I mean good news seems what a, maybe a bit of an understatement but what about the resurrection I mean why does that matter I mean, why is that such good news I mean good news for Jesus of course but how does that affect me Well, my friends, I'm awfully glad you asked that question, (laughs) because as we approach here in verse 12, we discover that if Christ had not risen from the dead, there would be no good news. If Christ is not risen from the dead, there is no good news. You say, what do you mean about that? Well, again, Paul lays that out here. Notice verse 13. Bad news in regards to Jesus. In other words, if Christ is not risen, then Christ is not risen. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Friends, just go home. Get that ham in the oven and those German potato salad. Anybody making German potato salad? Raise your hands so I can get your address later on here. <laughs> oh, if Christ is not risen, what we do here on Sunday morning is useless. It is an absolute waste of of time. Because we don't gather together to figure out how to be nice people. We come here to hear the word of God and to be transformed and to work in cooperation with the spirit of God to be transformed from the inside out. To have the character of Christ shift away in our lives, my friend, for the glory of God. To learn how to live in a world that hates him. How to be salt and light to the lost, to those who are without Christ and without hope in this world. You see, if Christ is not risen, the Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, the gospel being preached is useless. And if Christ is not risen, our trust in God is useless. That's what he says, and your faith is in vain. Well, I'm glad that you've heard the word of God, that you accepted it as true, and you are depending wholly on him to forgive your sin and to give you eternal life. You see how significant this is, my friends? If Christ is not risen, what's left? Bad news in regards to Christ Christ. And bad news with regards to you and I. Notice verse 17. If Christ is not risen, hear me, we are still in our sin. You are still in desperate need of the forgiveness of God. That is how critical the resurrection truly is. And in Romans chapter 4 and verse 24, I think we have this up on the screen. I'm hoping we do. I put it up last night. Look at there. There's some good hope. Notice here what Paul says in the book of Romans. He says, God will credit righteousness. Now let's pause right there and consider that phrase credit righteousness. You and I have no inherent righteousness. We came into this world with a sin nature. And we demonstrated it in our sinfulness. In the thoughts of our mind and the actions of our mouth and our hands and our feet. And you and I, what we need is to have righteous standing before God. How is that possible? Well, you may have heard about it. Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, see the issue is faith. And we're not talking about Disney, just believe and it'll happen. We're talking about accepting this is true and resting your whole weight upon it. It's going all in at the table, my friends. That's what we talk about when we talk about faith. So God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And then you will notice carefully this, ver- this section, verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins. He died for our sins, my friend. But notice carefully this. And was raised to life for our justification. Justification and righteousness are very closely related here, my friends. Righteousness is the standing that you and I need before God in order to be accepted into his presence, into his heaven. And justification, that last word, justification is the declaring of a person to be just or righteous. And we are declared Righteous by faith. If you've read the book of Genesis lately, you may recall Abraham. The scripture says that Abraham believed God. See, there's that word faith and believe. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. The righteousness of Christ gets put in your account. And when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Simply by faith. That's some big heavy theology there, my friends. But it is essential that we understand the faith that we hold on to. So if Christ is not risen, my friends, our trust in God is worthless. And gospel preachers, according to verse 15, are a bunch of liars. And according to verse 17, if Christ is not risen, we're still in our sin. In verse 18, if Christ is not risen, then those who have fallen asleep, that's a nice way to say have died. In other words, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, these are people who put their faith in Jesus Christ and have passed. And if I asked, uh, do you know anyone who has put their faith in Jesus and has died? You might raise your hand. I know plenty of them. And what will become of them? We are hoping for a reunion. We are longing because we know the word of God teaches that there will be a day. That the dead in Christ will rise first. That we who are alive and remain will be gathered together with them. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18 my friends but if Christ is not risen my friends if Christ is not risen they're just dead if Christ is not risen departed saints have perished there is no reunion there is no hope of seeing those people ever again, let alone seeing Jesus. You see how significant the resurrection is here, my friends? And finally, Paul says here in verse 19, if Christ is not risen, we are the most miserable creatures of all. Look at verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because Christ's resurrection, according to verses 20 and 22, is the first among many. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also The resurrection of of the dead. Because Christ is risen. Those who die in Christ will be raised. Anew. With a new glorified body. Oh what a reunion we will have my friends. He is the first among many. For as in Adam all die. But also in Christ shall all be made alive. Some resurrected to life. And others resurrected to stand before the judgment seat. A great white throne judgment. And every person there, the list will be checked of those who have put their faith in Jesus. And if you ain't on the list, my friends, it is an eternity in hell for you. Because Christ is risen, my friends. He is the first among many. And because Christ is risen, those who have died in Christ indeed will be raised. Verse 23, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And because Christ is risen, verse 24, death will ultimately be defeated. Paul says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put into subjection, It is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. And when all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him, the Father, who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. And finally, my friends, if Christ is not risen, there's no point in making a stand for Christ or speaking up to talk to people about Jesus, who he is and what he has done and what he has promised. Look at what Paul says in verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? And you say, what? What's that all about? You see, Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, you know, we see a number of corrections that Paul has to make. And this is, of course, one of them. There were people that believed and taught and acted on this, that, uh, that uh, if someone died and they, didn't, they weren't baptized, then they won't go to and, and that is a problem in and of itself, because we know the only hope is faith in Christ. Not anything you've done or things that you do or promise to do. But notice he takes this error and he uses it to make a point. He says, otherwise, what do people mean by, baptized, uh, by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? There's no resurrection, my friend. What's the point? Verse 30, and here's this question. Why are we in danger every hour? Paul, who was shipwrecked and beat and whipped and and endured all sorts of hostilities because of his preaching. He says, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you which I have in Christ our Lord. I die every day, but what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? There's no resurrection. There's just no point. Just go home and watch cartoons, my friends. And then he ends with this statement. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That is most certainly the thought of someone who has no hope. So what have we garnered here this morning? What is it that we have learned? What have we taken from the Word of God? Without the resurrection of Christ, there is no hope. Do you see why we don't talk about Easter around here, but why we talk about the resurrection? Because, my friends, it is an essential part of the gospel. It is an essential part of the gospel. And if Christ is not risen from the dead, there ain't any good news to talk about. So wake up. Notice in verse 33, Paul gives some clear instruction. He says, wake up, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You know it's true. And you've been on both ends of that, haven't you? He says here in verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor. As is right. What does it mean to wake up? It means pay attention to what's going on. And then he says, clean up and don't go on sinning clean up your life. I'll tell you what, I just got a haircut. Uh, thank you. Yes, it does look nice, doesn't it? <laughs> it's very nice of you to say. And uh, our, our hairstylist, Melanie, um, came to our house to do it. And typically we would go to this location, but uh, and guess what? The person cutting our hair is coming. We are clean in the house. <laughs> and he say, why? They're just going to cut your hair. Friends, If you clean your house for a neighbor, for a friend, the Lord Jesus is coming back. Why don't you clean your life up, huh? Let's clean it up. And lastly, notice what Paul says here. The end of verse 34. He says, for some have no knowledge of God. There are people that you know that have no idea what the gospel is, nor do they know why it's good news to begin with. And they struggle with their sin, and they see how it destroys relationships, good opportunities, my friends. And they don't know what to do with it. And there you sit with the answer. That Christ died for our sin. And he rose from the dead. And because of that we have hope. We have purpose. And we have life that will last forever. Paul says, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. And I'll tell you friends, hey, I love you and you know this. But if you're not talking to people about Jesus, shame on you. It is a thirsty, thirsty world out there. And you've got gallons by the lake full of truth and hope. Go tell someone. Go make it known.